RTE Rugby World Cup podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland. Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast. The bye week for Ireland is over and the focus now shifts to the final Pool B game against Scotland this Saturday night at the Stade de France. A lot of permutations for what Ireland and what Scotland need. If you want to see it all broken down point by point in great detail, uh, Michael Glennon has done so on rte.ie forward slash sport. The simple scenario from an Irish point of view, though, is win or draw and Ireland are through to the quarterfinals in first place. And to look ahead at this weekend's game, I have the company of James Downey and also former Scotland scrum half Rory Lawson, who's back on the podcast again. Fellas, thanks a million for coming. And Rory, thank you for rolling out all the stops with that delightful Pool B themed background you have. No, great, great to be here, Neil. Th- thanks for having me. And yeah, there's uh, some, some, some memories in in amongst those jerseys. Some, some probably sweat, blood, and tears in those jerseys as well. But uh, yeah, all, all, all fun and games. And look, as as you as you framed it, it's down to the final game of the pool for for both of these sides. And what a, what a mega game we've got in store. Who's who's Ireland jersey and who's South Africa jersey is that actually? Well. Based on the size of it, it could well be Connor Murray's uh, Ireland jersey, uh, and the South African one's actually Francois Houhard's. So uh, it makes me feel quite old because Francois is still still trucking along, as is Connor. But uh, I'm significantly over the hill at that <laughs> stage. But uh, I think the Ireland one was was possibly a World Cup warm up game back in 2011. We played Ireland in the in the warm up, so I, I chucked that one up, and the the South Africa one was. I don't like talking about it, but the last time we beat them, so there we go. Right. Well, that might be Conor Murray's debut jersey then. Uh, <laughs> World Cup warm up twenty eleven. That's when that's when he got his his first go. You might have a bit of history there, uh, right behind you, James. Though all the all the pressure is on Ireland this week. I think it's fair to say the fact that they've had, on one hand, a week's break to refresh themselves from the win against South Africa, but also they've had. On the flip side, if people are feeling a bit negative or worried, they've had an extra week to to stew on a little bit of pressure. And it is it is knockout rugby, essentially, from here. This is a last 16 game, I suppose, rather than a pool match, in a way. Yeah, and look, I think you've hit the nail on the head of that. It's a, it's it's knockout rugby from from where we go now. You know, they can they can afford no mistakes. They can afford no slip ups. No more experimentation. I'm sure we'll talk about the side later on and, and what they're going to do. But um, just to put what I think there, I think it's going to you got to go full full gun. You know, and um, you got to be fully stacked against this Scottish side. And look, Gregor is going to be sitting there and. He's mentioned it already in the press that he's, um, you know, what's the point in turning it up? You know, the the Irish lads are true, sure they're uh, they're playing New Zealand in the next round, and anytime anyone says anything, and anytime we say anything in the press or anything, it's gonna go straight up in that dressing room, and it's 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 knockout rugby. All Scotland need to do is produce one performance, and and they're true in Ireland, they're out. So for your last four years preparation, it's down to this. So this is what it's all been built up to. This is what Andy Farrell has been focused on. And and look, Ireland, our favourites going into this, um, I think rightly so, and what's gone on, especially the past couple of years. Um, but they have to deal with that pressure as well. And it's, um, it's nice to be talked about as well. You see other teams, quiet week last week, we weren't even playing and teams are speaking about the Irish side and 
um, it's it's something that they have to get used to. You know, you're top, you're number one in the world, and you can't be this underdog team anymore. And if we're going to be favourites, I think we are clear favourites. Yeah, and and James, it's something Connor Murray spoke about on I think it was Saturday when we were speaking to him here in tour that in the past, and he was happy to address it as well. You know, in the past, Ireland have been a team that have been able to pull out big one-off wins. You think back to 2011 and beating Australia at the World Cup and going out in the quarters then to Wales, 2015 against France, and then the week later against Argentina. 2019, it started off with a brilliant win against Scotland and fell apart against Japan after that. And he says there's been a lot of discussion internally about how they have often struggled to to back up a big performance with another one. And I don't know, it, it, it probably seems in a good way that it's something that they have addressed and they're, they're, they're not just trying to brush it under the carpet and, and say, oh, well, no, it's going to be different this time. Yeah, yeah, and for me, it's the consistency of performance and it's what Andy Farrell has brought into this side in terms of the way he even attacks the November series. Like He's gone the last two years and he's looked at it as a quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Um, and he's tried to put a strong side out to win every week and not just have a one-off against the big Southern Hemisphere team and um, and change your side then and against, a, a, say, a Tier 2 nation. He's gone in with it to say, you've got to be able to play these four games in a row, these three, four games in a row where it really matters. Um, and yeah, it is. It's you can get your, You can always get yourself up for one game, but it's been able to produce week after week at that high level. And it, against big sides from now on in it's it's big sides you know it's quality teams like okay i'm not dismissing scotland this again but that's a this is a huge game this is a one-off game i wouldn't even focus on anything after that because all the scots need to do is produce one game and, and they're true and we're out so they're going to be extremely focused on this weekend but it is a case of can't just be one game you know and i think scotland if they do produce something this weekend they have to go and do the same next week you know and and that's hard to do. Rory, is this in 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 the Scottish public? Is this being viewed as a nothing to lose game, or is there still a, a degree of expectancy or hope slash expectancy around them, or is it very much go out there and give it a lash? Yeah, I think from a Scottish public perspective, there's there's definitely hope, um, and there's a belief. I don't think there's expectation or 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 an overconfidence. I think. Most rugby knowledgeable rugby fans in Scotland realize the the size of the task that Scotland face, and if you're if you're trying to build belief, then it's probably best to avoid the the fixtures in in recent years. Is it what Ireland are eight on eight on the bounce against Scotland? So, but equally, I'm delighted that you lads have framed it as knockout rugby from the get go because they will certainly highlight where Ireland have come unstuck in, in knockouts in, in previous World Cups. Scotland are capable of, of one-off performances. Um, in fact, they're capable of, of consistent performances, albeit you know Ireland have definitely been a bogey team. And I've got no doubt at all that Andy Farrell, his coaching team, his leadership team, all of the players will have got into the granularity of, of where Scotland's threats are, where they've been successful historically, What's changed between you know the last match against Scotland and and now? And there will be li- little tweaks, but I expect you know Andy Andy Farrell to have a squad that will come come out 
look to enforce physicality, get your your nuts and bolts right and around the set piece, cause defensive pressure, cause kick pressure, and just and try and force Scotland into errors, which historically they've been able to capitalise on. But I think in the in the Scottish public in general, and I know within that squad, there will be a, a belief that they're capable of of doing what's needed to to get out the pool, albeit it's largely a free hit. You're playing against the number one team in the world. Nobody really expects Scotland to go and do it. Um, lots of, you know, the 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 Irish pundits, but actually the pundits outside of Scotland and Ireland are all talking about that quarterfinal crossover of, you know, New Zealand, France, South Africa and and Ireland. So for Scotland, it's it, that naturally becomes a fuel to the the fire that takes you into the week. Mm-hmm. Would would there be like just in a hypothetical if Scotland were to were to lose this weekend, but it's a it's a pretty close game. You know, it's going the full eighty minutes. I you know either side could win. Ireland eventually just edges and and Scotland are out. Considering the the strength of the pool that Scotland would have found themselves in even though it will be consecutive World Cup pool exits, would it be viewed much differently to, to 2019? Oh, I think it would be... Uh, there, there's a different feel about the squad. There's a different feel about the dynamic and the culture within that squad this time around. I think if if, if you consider it, you know, South Africa... If, if Ireland win at the weekend or draw at the weekend, South Africa and Ireland go through. Yeah. Now, South Africa weren't at their best against Ireland, but they fought to the 80th minute and still lost. They're, they're, they are one of the top teams in world rugby. So for Scotland, they could put in a very good performance and still come out on the wrong end of the result. They could also put in a very good performance and find that Ireland are just a little bit off their game and they managed to sneak it last play. So, yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a, a potential outcome that has Scotland losing the game having put in a good performance. And I think if I if I wind all the way back to the couple of months leading into this World Cup, I, I tried framing it in my own mind and didn't ever get the answer from, from Gregor Townsend. But what does, what does success look like for Scotland coming to a World Cup whereby your pool is number one and number two team defending champion, world, world champions in the same pool alongside, you know, Tonga and Romania? What does success look like? You success then becomes four performances that you can hang your hat on and say, we went out there, we 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 put ourselves out there, and we we just weren't quite good enough to beat the best two teams in the world. Now, in the post-match review of South Africa, Scotland definitely came away thinking we didn't really get close to sort of middle of fourth gear or fifth gear in that game. And that, that's where the disappointment lies. They lost to South Africa fairly comfortably in the end, but they didn't really fire the shots that you expect a Scotland team. What on Saturday, no matter what happens, no matter what, what the score is on the final whistle, they want to know that they've emptied the tank, they've fired the shots, they've chucked everything they can at Ireland, both both sides of the ball, and then they'll, they'll, they'll be comfortable measuring themselves on that. James, you mentioned Gregor Townsend earlier on and maybe putting a little bit of pressure on Ireland. It was nothing compared to to Razi Erasmus. I don't know, did you see his quotes where he was saying, I would wholeheartedly much rather be in the situation I am now where 
we've played all our matches, we've put our points on the board and and all the pressure's on Ireland now very much and they have to go out and get a result. Out of curiosity, which situation would you rather be? Would you rather be South Africa right now where it's points on the board? They're not necessarily guaranteed first place in a pool, but it would take a very, very, very unlikely result for them to be knocked out altogether. Or would you rather be in Ireland's situation where there obviously is the pressure that they have to go and deliver this weekend, but they know a win and it's first place? I think I'd prefer to be in the position we're in now, I'm totally honest. Just maybe on Saturday at midnight, I might have a different outlook <laughs> on it. But I, I do think, though, that, look, it's just that element of, of Rassi tr- piling on that pressure, just trying to see, can Ireland cope with this? Because that's the question. Can Ireland cope with, with all this pressure? And um, as I say, Ian Foster even thrown his hat in the ring as well about certain things. And um, yeah, look, it's it, it's going to be such a titanic battle, but I would prefer to kind of be in our position. Not that it's going to be, if if we beat Scotland, say, the weekend, the lesser of two evils to, to play the All Blacks, who are starting to get a bit of form together as well, rather than the French home team. And that's the only reason why it would be I wouldn't want to play France at home at the moment. It's brilliant mind games, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it's 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 absolutely brilliant. You know, Rassi Erasmus just chucking grenades in there. I remember in the in the lead up to the Scotland game in the opening of the World Cup on his on his Twitter or X profile, he had he was um you know all of these followers follow Rassi Rassi Rugby or whatever his uh, his handle is, and he followed one one account um from his own twitter account and that was scott scottish rugby <laughs> so it's you know it and he's just you know he's he's full of it he he loves chucking grenades and in this position you know they're sitting knowing that it would take a an extraordinary um run of kind of outcomes for them to be to be knocked out I think for for Andy Farrell's group, when you just look at the the winning record, the momentum they have coming into this, there's pro- for me it, it, it then becomes the fuel of of Scotland's approach to Saturday, and you know we'll get into that in due course. But Ireland at the moment know what it takes to win. They they know what it takes to win against the top teams. They they understand winning. In fact, so much so that they they won't really remember what it's like to lose. Mm. And sometimes you need you need losses to to fuel that drive. But also there is an, an element of that mindset that says, look, we if we put what we're capable out, out on the field, we will we will win this game. And that, you know, that genuine belief as belief in the minerals and the ingredients you have in the squad, but also that winning know-how. The, you know, winning test matches isn't straightforward. Winning tight test matches is even more difficult. But Ireland have shown that consistency again and again and again to be able to do it. Now, how Scotland play on that, how, you know, they, they'll have, there's a guy, Aaron Walsh, who's in that uh, uh, as a sports psychologist. I'm sure Ireland would have would have the equivalent, right? But being able to almost, for Aaron Walsh, being able to be the guy in the, put himself in the Ireland camp and think, right, how would that person be, creating scenarios that may unsettle Ireland and protect against them. And therefore, how does Scotland create those scenarios to be able to build any any element of doubt? We, you see it, whether it's in, whether it's at Wimbledon and Ryder Cup golf, 
you know, in in rugby and football, pressure does funny things to people, and and how Scotland can buy create that pressure on Ireland is is the big ask of Gregor Townsend and his squad. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned that the the sports psychologist with Scotland because after 2019 with Ireland, there was they did their report about what went wrong over the over the campaign and. One of the terms that came up, I believe it was there was a, a performance anxiety within the squad. And and they've since brought in Gary Keegan, who is he's the, the god of sports and performance coaches in Ireland, I would say. And James, it's been really interesting uh, having seen over the last couple of years being at press conferences and things, the amount of times that players are mentioning the work they're doing with Gary Keegan unprompted just bringing it up themselves about what they're doing with him, whether it was Jack Conan last week speaking about he had his injury set back when they first arrived in France and the work he was doing with him to, to get his head right. It's really important, the role that these coaches are actually having, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's huge because it's, it's uh, um, as Rory mentioned there, it's these games that are just so close and it's so tight and you need that little 1%. It's under that pressure um, where these errors occur and you don't want to make that error. No one wants to think about that and have that performance anxiety, as you mentioned. So it's key that Gar- someone like a Gary Keegan comes in and, and gets the player in the right mindset. If someone knocks it on, you forget about it. You move on to the next thing and you have coping mechanisms and, um, look, when you're out there and you're under pressure, it just becomes that norm. And he mentioned there that it's it's that finding a way to win and, and they learn how to do that as well, you know. So these players as well, you mentioned, look, about injuries as well. It's just for something to take the focus off too, but it is, it's crucial because um, it is these small little things that can get you over the line and that will have that little bit of advantage, especially in the top, top games because everyone's so close and it's a game of small percentages and margins and to have that little extra percent that someone like say Gary Keegan brings can be crucial. Yeah. You know, I think it, when, when you consider it, times, times are changed now. I think historically sports psychologists, you know, J- James and I were playing sports psychologists would have been around, but you typically went to them when you, if you had a problem, you know, if, if, if you were off your game or if you were lacking confidence or, you know, your form wasn't quite there, or if you had made an error in the last game that people were concerned about carrying into the into the next game. But now it's about the edge. It's about trying to find, you know, you talk about the, the game being played between the years. Now all of these guys, are, you know, the, largely speaking, yes, like physically when you, when you look at the South Africans, they're a bit different. Ireland have got some incredible specimens, but... Largely speaking, across the board, there's not a huge disparity with regards to physically where teams are. So, but between the years is where the game's won and lost. And it's the same, you know, now I think it's about finding your edge. I think the guys are proactive in saying, right, where can I move the dial? How can I get better? Because that's what professional sports about. It's all too infrequent in, in you know, day-to-day life in, in the world of civvy world, whereby I know that Aaron Walsh is quite big on them. Um, on sort of anchors at the start of a week. So the, the start of any match week, it's around having these anchors that you latch onto. So whether that's, you know, the energy in the room, whether that's about the effort, whether that's about connecting, whatever it may be, that's the kind of common thread that runs through every week. And it might just change week on weeks, but it just gives you a different focus and a different dynamic to the, to the squad. I think in, 
you know, if, if we all considered, you know, you start a week different and you've got this anchor that you're going to define your week by and every single day you're going to focus on that, we'd, we'd all be much better at what we do. For the sports people, it's about, you know, maybe an extra 5%, maybe an extra 2% in your performance. But I think there's a big change in that area now between the ears. It's, it's very difficult. The one caveat I would say of that really difficult to recreate the scenarios of pressure when when it's there's the jeopardy's not there so you can try and create scenarios you know clive woodward creating the drop goal scenarios of 2003 you can create those but and johnny wilkinson will repeat the skill again and again and again everyone else will know the roles again and again but when the pressure comes on and you've got eighty thousand people in a stadium and and you know the world on your shoulders. That's when that's when it really comes to a crux. But mental rehearsal, the guy, the guys will all do that kind of stuff now. And obviously, you know, Ireland have identified that challenge and they've put the work in over the last four years. And we've definitely seen the benefits on field. Is it well? Then it's a, to move it on. Is it a good example of what you were saying there, where Ireland probably have developed that age? Scotland are still finding it the Six Nations game between the sides back in March when you were on chatting to us beforehand where Scotland caused Ireland enormous problems in the first half and probably gave up two really, really good try opportunities late in that first half. Ireland go in, was it, uh, I can't remember what the score was. Ireland just about went in ahead or maybe Scotland were, were a point in front, I can't remember now, but it was a far closer game than it should have been. Scotland probably should have been a try or two ahead at half time, And Ireland just looked a completely different team in the second half and, and had that belief. And then Scotland ran into the line-out issues and, and Ireland were able to juggle losing losing two hookers and playing yeah, yeah. Healy in, the, in, in at hooker, Josh van der Fleer throwing into lineouts, and were able to, to navigate their way through a, through a game like that. You know, it's it's a really interesting point. It's something that you know, think thinking about it um, post Six Nations, and then you know, reflecting back on that game, there are there will be moments in the game that define the outcome, and that was a moment in that game in the Six Nations just before half time, whereby I think it was Scotland nearly scored in the left hand corner, but just got yeah. bundled into touch. Was Tur that right? Uh, George Turner got bundled into touch. That's right. That's right. And. Those are the moments, because if you think about the, the halftime talk, the confidence, the belief, the energy, um, based on those differing outcomes, that, that that's one thing. When you bring the kind of psychology of things into play in the second half, for Ireland, there was a bloody-mindedness and resilience that they showed in that second half. When you've got three props scrummaging, you know they they could they could have dropped to uncontested scrums potentially, but they did. They scrummed with three pop, props: Key and Healy in a hooker, Josh van der Fleer threw into the lineouts. So that's actually where having the agility in in the way that you approach things, and uh, but also the the psychology, being able to understand. You know, you're trying to unpick what the opposition are doing here. Don't rely on them unpicking themselves. And I think for them, you know, Scotland would never have practised with the idea of Josh van der Fleer throwing into the liner. Ireland showed an agility to use the halftime break, work out 
how they went about rebuilding things and just went out and executed second half. So it's those two things, I think, whereby understanding um, there will be moments in the game upon which the game is defined. You know, these are two really good sides. Ireland are just half a notch um, higher than Scotland when it comes to experience, quality and and, and winning know-how. But on their day, if Scotland can make the most of these um, uh, these opportunities, and I sound like a broken record when I talk about it, because it was that way at Murrayfield. A couple of years ago in Dublin, I remember Scotland broke at Ireland open two or three times in the opening 20 minutes and didn't take the opportunities mm -hmm. to score. Now, it's shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? But then at the same time, if if the, if they would they would trade in all of those losses and all of those missed opportunities if they can make two or three of them stick in the opening twenty minutes in Paris on Saturday, and put themselves in a position to get out the pool. And and James Tarlin's credit, they've found themselves in a lot of those tricky situations over the last year. And Andy Farrell has always spoken of the the benefits of finding yourselves in those situations. Not just the game against Scotland, but. For example, against Australia back in November when Johnny Sexton pulls out in the warm-up and Jack Crowley is thrown in for his first test start uh, against the Wallabies. Then during the Six Nations, you had uh, Jameson Gibson Park and Keane Healy pulling up injured the, the morning of the first game against uh, against Wales. You'd Gary Ringrose pulling out injured the day before Italy. There was someone else pulled out injured just before the, the game against France. So they've... They've experienced a lot of last-minute hiccups and been able to to deal with the chaos, I suppose, that that brings. But well, well, and it's it's blanking out that noise as well. Of it's not chaos. It's just okay. We'll deal with this problem and we'll problem solve on the hop and and we'll deal with it. You know, there's we won't get too stressed about it, which is uh, a massive thing, which is they have out there. They don't panic and go, "Oh my God, we're down someone. What's going to happen? Who's going to do this?" It's focus on your own job. The next person off the ranks going to do their job. We know what they're going to do and I'll stick to doing my job. And I think it's, it's a testament again to Andy Farrell and what he's, what he's brought into these players and the self-belief that they have within themselves that if something happens, I think it's more people on the outside who go, Oh, if we lose this person and that person, we're going to struggle. I think the self-belief within that camp is that's fine. If he's out, we know the next guy, we see him day in, day out training to the highest levels and, and they're able to do a job and look, especially against against the Scotland side who um like we've talked there about the mindset of turning early scoring in a corner and um that halftime team talk, it changes the halftime team talk, you know, and the self-belief that like it, it is a game of fine margins where if that scores the halftime conversation with Gregor changes and Andy Farrell changes, but the players really pick up on that. They've been able to withstand this onslaught they've been able to withstand um some issues that have, haven't gone their way per se and yet they've come on it and they come on second half and you're a different side then you know and you're able to overcome these issues and i think again it's it's these small things that have made ireland so strong and i think this is one of the things neil and again and james the from a, from an outsider's perspective, um, who keeps an eye obviously on rugby and listens to the whole narrative around it, as as the 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 change from Joe Smith to to Andy Farrell, there there were obviously the the stories around Joe Smith and his eye for detail, his structures, his frameworks that he wanted people to fit 
fit within. And then the standards that he set that held all of those up. So, you know, people put a ball down in training, right, switch out, somebody else gets a shot. Okay, so he built pressure through that, the standards that he set, the expectation. Andy Farrell is, is much more of a, a, a player, manager, coach, who engages and knows and, and engages with what it's like to be in the player's shoes. But also, he, as far as I can see, he appreciates the skill sets of each individual in that squad. So he's got frameworks in place. He's got systems. But in each of the scenarios, the, the way that Ireland play, really clean in their exits. They've, they've got, a, they've got a, a, a clarity of their kicking game. Um, in in the middle third, they maintain that kicking game unless unless it's really on, and then when they get the momentum, they've got they get they get into their fluidity whereby they've got carriers but they've got options, and then it's then it essentially hands it over to the players and says, you are all incredibly capable players. You are international, a number of world class operators in there, and faced with a scenario, you're going to make the right decisions. So go out there and make the right decisions within the structures and frameworks that we have. Chuck into the mix, you've got Johnny Sexton, who's essentially like having a player coach on field because he just rallies the troops. He knows all of the different areas. He's the guy in the most important seat, and he knows the game inside out. And that's what you see from Ireland is a clarity that is unrivaled with regards to what the expectation is of what of you going out there and delivering in the green jersey. They've got obviously got the the nuts and bolts of it and a strategy that works against almost every opponent, but they've got the ability to adapt based on the the challenges they face. And there's an awful lot to be admired about that because rugby is a complex game. It's often overcomplicated by coaches, but the simplicity that Andy Farrell has brought to the scenario, whilst all also giving flex to his players, is re really really admirable. In terms of selection. This week, I think both sides will be naming on on Thursday. James, we'll start with we'll start with Ireland. Um, are you expecting any slash many changes from the game against South Africa? The names that jump to mind would be Dan Sheehan, uh, came off the bench against against the Springboks, is fully, fully, fully fit now. Jack Conan is available as well. Connor Murray was very, very impressive at the Stade de France last time. What would you be What would you be thinking in terms of changes? Certainly wouldn't tweak too much. Um, pretty much the three that you've mentioned there, maybe potentially bring on Jack Conan onto the bench. Um, be harsh potentially on Ronan Kelleher to to sub him out. But then again, you want to give Dan Sheehan in there and get him going as our pretty much first choice hooker. Um, with Conor Murray, I'm, I'd like to see Jamison start again at nine and, and, and Conor Murray come on again. If if we need that level head uh, at the end just to control things and Conor knows exactly what he wants to do in that pivotal position. But I, w I don't think you can make too many changes. You know, you have to go a strong, we mentioned at the top of the show, it's it's knockout football. So you've got to, got to go as strong as you can and I wouldn't expect too many changes. Rory, you're the scrum half, obviously, and from the Scottish point of view, which would you which would you rather not see uh, starting the game? Who would who would you be more comfortable with starting the starting that game uh, from the opposite side of things? It's a, look, it's a it's a really interesting question to pose. Um, my my sense is Jamison Gibson Park. It, 
if you're playing against a side that he's at nine, he's got the basics to be, you know, he's got a kicking game and good passing game. But the one thing that jumps for me is his ability to bring tempo and pace to things. And if I think from a Scottish perspective, you know, Ireland, Ireland won't just come out and look to physically batter Scotland. They're, they're, they're sharper than that. They're, they're more creative than that. They understand that the physical winning, winning the collisions and building momentum and gain line is, is a, is a fundamental of any team, but I think Jamison Gibson Park, the the pace and tempo that he brings to an attacking team, is is massive, and that that, that is what I think sets him apart. Um, as James says, bring, being able to bring Connor Murray off in whatever scenario, whether that's maintaining the tempo for the final twenty minutes or coming in to to put the game to bed, I think he's a a, a better player. In that regard, um, I think he and and he's got so much experience; it's it's unbelievable. But for me, I think I would I would prefer to see Connor Murray's name on the on the starting team sheet. Um, albeit, I still think that you know Jamison Gibson Park is one of those whereby scrum halves can sometimes get a little bit isolated defensively off set piece scrum in particular, whereby you're the first defender out. Having said that, if you go down his channel and he does make uh, the tackle, you've got back rowers scavenging, climbing all over you. So um, I think I think there are, as ever, there are, you know, players have massive assets, massive abilities. You're always just looking to identify where there's there's a tiny little chink in the armory that you could expose. And it's such a it's such a good selection dilemma I suppose you for a coach like Andy Farrell to have where you have two two very very different scrum halves who have you know quite different attributes and you can almost kind of go horses for courses based on what kind of a game you want yeah definitely I if, if I think back if I think back to my playing days you know I had I had Mike Blair and Chris Cusseter as as my my two uh you know teammate stroke opponents um for for the Scotland jersey and you know I, I caught up with Andy Robinson last week and he like he he selected me more than he did the other two but prior to that the previous two coaches um Matt Matt Williams and Frank Haddon had either picked Chris Cusseter more or Mike Blair more and it's you know a lot of the time you've got a scrum half that fits the way that you play and therefore you kind of build that around the nine nine ten axis. But I think in this scenario, both nines can play the way that Ireland play, albeit there are slight nuances to the skill set that they bring. You know, is is does Jamison Gibson Park, I'm sure the statisticians will have this, when he's playing, on average, is the ball a quarter of a second quicker into Johnny Sexton's hands or the flyer half's hands. Therefore, do you are you able to turn a four on three into a two on one and, and, and a scoring opportunity rather than maybe Connor Murray, whose exit is kicking's maybe slightly better. His box kicks have a little bit more hang time. The chase is better. Maybe you get more ball back from his box kicks than you do Jamison Gibson Park. I'm sure that this it plays a part within this, but nines we know are often the glue with regards to telling the forwards when they should keep a hold of the ball and keep generating momentum and, and essentially 
deciding when the ball gets into the the 10 or 12's hands to be able to to unleash the backs and I think on on both sides you've got such quality in that Ireland squad that it's a it's a factor for Scotland. Ali Price played very well on mm. on Saturday night, albeit against the Romania side. Ben White had an injury, you know, coming into the tournament has showed up okay, but hasn't had a whole lot of game time. So that's maybe one of the areas that that Gregor Townsend is looking at at the moment. Well, a key one from the Scottish point of view, then Rory would be what to do in the centre and what your plan is for someone like Bondiaki, who's arguably been in player of the tournament form through these first three games. And we would have seen during the Six Nations to to Plotu and um, uh, Hugh Jones caused Ireland a lot of problems, particularly in that first half in Murray Field as well. But do you have to kind of weigh it up with someone like Chris Harris, who's probably a a really, really experienced and, and noted defender, um, to to have a plan in place for Bundyaki. What way would you be would you be leaning there? Or well, Cam you, Redpath comes into the equation then as well. Obviously, there's, there's good depth at centre. Yeah, you know what? It's um, you know, you talk horses for courses, and I think when when Gregor names his squad, we'll get a real idea as to how how they're approaching this game. You know, do do they does Scotland want to, you know, give up? Uh, to sorry, play play a territorial game. And a game whereby you've got Chris Harrison, 13, who is a defensive leader, you know, often spoken about as being one of the, the best defend, 13 defenders in, in world rugby with, with regards to the way he uh, he manages that defensive line. Or do they, they pick Hugh Jones? Yeah, it's, it's, I, think, I think when Gregor names his side on Thursday, we'll get a really clear idea as to what Scotland's strategy is going into this this match if if chris harris is named we know it's probably going to be an a scotland that bit of a territorial arm wrestle um hold ireland out defensively and then capture the opportunities when they come scotland's way equally if if hugh jones gets picked in the in the number 13 jersey we know scotland are going to go and give it a proper crack they're going to try and stress gary ringrose and the outside defenders the back the back three last defenders in that in that back line. So it'll be the third both jerseys, I believe, are up for grabs in with in, in the centers. And I have uh, at the end of the game on Saturday, I I really did feel that Cam Redpath could be a bit of a bolter, if you like, within the selection on Saturday. He has shown up incredibly well for Scotland when given the opportunity. I think he's got a slightly different skill set to Sione Tuapalotu, potentially a little bit less dominant in the carry, but he's still a good carrier. He's got great feet, footwork. He's excellent defensively and often goes for the, the ball strip tackle. He reads the game incredibly well, and he's also got this confidence about him that and a belief whereby... I won't have his I won't have his stats and his opponents, but I'm not sure he's played against Ireland before. So do you chuck someone like that into the mix because they don't know what it's like to to lose to Ireland? They go out there and and, and they don't know any different. So yeah, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I you know my gut would say Gregor would go um, Finn Sione and and Hugh Jones, but. I wouldn't be overly surprised if there was one of the 
one of the other two centres that's named. Interesting. Um, nearly out of time, but a couple of quick bits I do want to ask. James, uh, all going to plan for Peter O'Mahony if selected. He's, he would win a 100th Irish cap this weekend. And um, I'd like to go back to when you were playing with him uh, at Munster and he would have been given the captaincy at a, at a fairly young age. Um, I'm sure you can speak about what sort of a leader he was, particularly taking on the captaincy at Munster when he was probably still in his early mid-twenties, surrounded by a lot of players who were still involved from some big, big days with big trophies. Yeah, look, I think it's a testament to him uh, as a person that he's he's made it to 100 caps. You know, I think um, when when you mentioned there, I was in Munster, you had the likes of Paul O'Connell, you had Dunnock O'Callaghan, you had Ronan O'Gara, you had Stringer, like you had all these senior players. And yet, when someone's picked out from an early age and they have these abilities and they are able to talk and, and hold a room, Pete's one of these people, you know, and when he speaks, you listen. Uh, but I think he's one of these players as well that... Um, doesn't go around banging heads or anything like that. He's very controlled, leads from what he does in the field a lot of the time. Um, will speak extremely passionately beforehand as well, but once he's out there, he's just one of these people who puts his body on the line and um, you can only, you'd follow him into battle anywhere, you know, and he's, uh, as I said, it's a testament to him as a person um, that he's, gone through all this uh, well, bit of hardship with injuries and stuff like that, but rode it all out and he's come out the other end and he's he's made 100 caps and I'm absolutely delighted for him. Neil, for, for what it's worth, he loves playing against Scotland as well. He's had, you know, the number of man of the match performances he's put in against Scotland. Um, he's one of those guys that he is, uh, he's the pantomime villain, if you like, for for Scottish Scottish players, he's got he just knows how to get under the skin. He's such an awkward player to play against, um, and you know credit to him. Getting to hundred caps for anyone is is a is a massive massive achievement. But you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't know Peter Romani personally, but the way that he operates on a rugby field, um, he's a, he's a different beast by the sound of things to what he is. He is off it, um, and there's a lot to admire. Um. Finally, just for yourself, Rory, we may or may not see him this weekend, but I, I couldn't let the, the opportunity pass without, without asking about another monster man and, and now Scottish man, Ben Healy. Obviously, early days, we've seen him in the in the Scotland jersey and he may or may not be involved this weekend, but I would just be curious to to see what's the, been the early perception of, of what he's brought uh, to Scotland. Yeah, I, I, I credit to him. I, I I spoke with him after the Georgia game. I think um, in the in the in the World Cup warmups, and he's he's taken a uh, he's taken a huge step, you know, to to move away from from Munster, where he where he grew up um, and 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 played his rugby is a is a big shift. But he's seen an opportunity to to challenge himself, to go into a different environment, to try and find a. A different gear and and at core level to play international rugby, and he's come into that Scotland jersey and he's he's done himself incredibly proud. I think for a number of only Scotland rugby fans, so you know aside from the the URC, he would have been a face and a name that lots of people wouldn't have known anything about. And he's come in and I think particularly with his with his skills and his kicking game, you know is is the length of his kicking game. He's a but he's a big physical guy as well, um, who who is slotted into 
what it is to play a, a different a different style of rugby and different brand of rugby to what he would have done at Munster. And he settled really well. He would have had one of his most memorable nights on on Saturday night, you know, in 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 Lille to go out there and and kick twelve from twelve off the tee, run the show, um, and be part of a, a a good Scottish win on a on a good night against a side who are obviously a side Scotland expect to turn over. But I think he's for him to even be posing the question in Gregor Townsend mind about whether he could be in that twenty three says what an impact he's made in a short space of time. Yeah, we'll we'll watch that space very very finally. Quick words. What's the prediction for this Saturday? I think I think I'm hanging on to the 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 nugget, uh, the eternal optimist nugget in the back of my mind that says Scotland on their day can can do a job. But that's you know that that would be undermining to a certain extent the quality of this Ireland side. I think Scotland will go out and they will chuck everything they have at Ireland if if everything sticks. And they take their opportunities, and Ireland, you know, balls up a few of theirs. Then Scotland could come out on the 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 right end of the result, and it would be a famous night in Paris. Um, and they've had a they've had a few of those, uh, but I think for I think Ireland might just have a little bit too much. James, yeah, pretty similar. I expect Scotland to make it a a dogfight. We've seen the the no love loss between the side over the past couple of years, and. Expected to get pretty niggly in there, but um, I just think that Ireland had that extra little bit of quality at the moment just to just to pull away. I'm hoping, Neil, that my my poor history of predictions is going to go <laughs> is going to continue uh, when I, when I make that prediction. Of course. Well, fellas, it's been great having you on, James. Thanks as always, and Rory. We'll get you back on before Ireland play Scotland in the final. That's, ah, there we uh, go. That'll be the deal, all right? Deal. <laughs> That's the deal. I'll, I'll I'll get rid of the South African jersey for that one. <laughs> Fellas, that's been great. Just a reminder for people listening, so much rugby coming your way on RT2 and RT Player over the next few days. New Zealand against Uruguay is on Thursday night. We also have France against Italy on Friday evening. Two games on Saturday, Wales against Georgia and England versus Samoa. And there's radio commentary on RT Radio 1 of Ireland versus Scotland. And then on Sunday, Tonga versus Romania in Ireland's Pool B. And Fiji against Portugal is the late game on Sunday night. That is it from the RT Rugby World Cup podcast for today. Thanks to James and Rory again for coming on. We'll have another pod ready to go for you first thing on Thursday. And we'll speak to you then. The RTE Rugby World Cup podcast. Sponsored by Bank of Ireland.